You're listening to The Contrary Beekeeper Show. I'm Dan. I'm Greg. And I'm James. Join us as we journey into beekeeping while we learn to be the change, one hive at a time. Welcome back to another episode of The Contrary Beekeeper Show. In our last episode with Bob Benny, when we sat down and interviewed him, uh, we mentioned that life has a way of putting people in our path along our journey, uh, and it, it seems like um, it's been one thing kind of after another. There are some folks uh, that are brought into your life that are literally shining a light. They're they're shining a light under uh, other folks' path. They're gracious. They're humble. They're making a difference, and they're not afraid. Uh, to do the right thing. Uh, today, it's it's our honor to have Cayman Reynolds on the podcast. Uh, most of you probably know who Cayman Reynolds is, Tennessee's Bees, on the YouTube channel. Right now, he's on there. And uh, <laughs> say hi to Cayman's camera. And he's he's one, of the, he's one of the good guys that are in this industry. He's a young guy, uh, but he spends a lot of time not only teaching folks about bees, uh, but he's the kind of guy that reaches out and actually helps. One of, he wants to see people uh, do well. Uh, and Cayman, thanks for being on the show. It's my pleasure. I love getting to network with other beekeepers. It, it helps me learn more about other people's individual situations and... I also learn a lot. I mean, I think a lot of people get the idea because I've got a YouTube channel and I've put on a conference now and a few things that I'm not in the stage of learning. Like all of a sudden, I'm just some teacher and that's it. No, I'm constantly learning and getting to network with people like you. I learned something today, multiple things today that I may never have learned anywhere else. So um, it's my pleasure to be here. Cameron, you do a great job on your video channel about showing the nuts and bolts of your method of beekeeping, what works for you, what doesn't work. You're also sharing other ideas. This year, you're doing things like an experimental yard where you're bringing all kinds of factors in that you're going to be kind of working with. And a lot of folks are starting to understand who you are as a beekeeper. And I, I really do appreciate the nuts and bolts approach. But sometimes what's hard for folks to get a good idea is who we are as people. What's inside the mind of the beekeeper? How did we get to this point? Where are we at? And kind of where uh, do we see ourselves moving forward? There's a lot of uh, things that happen all along the way that are trials, tribulations, um, that kind of get us um, to this point. And it's unfortunately easy for folks to see someone like you as being successful, doing well, a killer YouTube channel. And then they're measuring their life, their journey, their beekeeping, and their success as, as this is what they're trying to achieve. And while that's fantastic, and there's nothing wrong with that, um, I think there's some opportunities to um, dig in a little bit to the context of not only who we are, but why are we keeping bees? Why do we do the things that we do? And how did we get here? Well, that's... A loaded question to start with, but um, I'm I'm up to the challenge. First of all, like you said, uh, people get the idea that you know all these things are going, and you know it's been going for a while, and, and that's not the case. It's been the opposite. I'm starting out doing all the wrong things, and I've mentioned this on my YouTube videos, but we'll get into a little bit more detail. Um, beekeepers have to be tenacious. Um, Bob Benny said that very thing, and they, they have to. Just keep going. 
it, it's hard, especially when you're new. It's not like getting into chickens or cows. It's uh, it's complicated, and I definitely failed. I don't know if failed's the right term. I, I definitely made a lot of mistakes. I think failed is when you get into something and then you fail and give up. Um, we definitely didn't give up. So we made a lot of mistakes. And my YouTube channel is basically just to help people make fewer mistakes. I'm hoping with this experimental yard that we can help uh, tie our operation up a little bit tighter, so to speak. There's a lot of things that I feel like with Varroa mites, we just don't fully understand. A lot of people, and myself included, want to know more. But as far as starting out early, we definitely just had a, a really rough go of it. There were so many times, hundreds if not thousands of times, where Laurel and I just looked at each other like, should we keep doing this? And it was just a money sink, for lack of a better term. And we just pour money into it, pour money into it. And we eventually got out of that. But that's what my YouTube channel is all about, is is being success, successful with bees. Um, we all love it. They're so fun. Um, you know, my worst days in the bee yard, in the grand scheme of things compared to other jobs that I've done, whether it's truck driving, working in a factory, or anything else like that, Nothing, nothing to that level. So even a bad day in the bee yard is a good day to me. Uh, and, you know, even bee stings can be good for you. So uh, <laughs> it's apotherapy. That's, it's all about terminology, right? And perspective. But definitely uh, my goal is just to help other people enjoy beekeeping to the extent that I do. And that doesn't mean you have to have hundreds of hives. You can maybe enjoy bees more than I do with three to five. So that's what I'd like to see. With whether it's one hive or a hundred hive, a lot of folks are drawn to beekeeping. Maybe they even feel called to be a beekeeper. And it, it seems like the more folks that I meet, there definitely seems to be some folks that are that feel like they there is a calling to be a beekeeper because while there is the um, the agricultural act of being a beekeeper, there is something special. Uh, there's a different kind of a, a relationship with the bees that you can have when you, it almost, it, it you can't, if you're beekeeping and you haven't been humbled greatly, um, then I probably want to have your business card and, and see what those, um, what those sham wow secrets are <laughs> because that's just quite not the case. I'm sure you've had quite a hum, some humbling experiences uh, as you got started. I'm sure if, if for folks that haven't caught your whole story on your YouTube channel, how did you get into beekeeping and what were some of the greatest hurdles and pitfalls that you had early on? Well, so just like any good marketing, it takes about three times to make a sell. And it took about three experiences with bees to make a sell with me. Um, when I was a kid, I'd say probably about seven or eight years old, we went to a museum and they had in the one huge wall these hexagon cells with pictures of larvae and bees and different things, honey and pollen in there. And that always really stuck out to me because it was just so alien, for lack of a better term, especially to a kid that had never seen anything like that before. And I've forgotten a lot of things about that museum, but that one really always stuck out to me. And you could get in those cells because they were probably about two feet deep. And, you know, being seven, you could just literally sit in there. They were big enough. You could just, I could have taken a nap in that cell. So that was my first experience with bees. Of course, I didn't actually get serious for about another eight years. 
and when I was about almost 15 years old. And I ran into this fella. I'm getting ahead of myself. I went to Fall Creek Falls with my dad at 13, and they had an observation hive there at the um, the park. And that really blew me away watching the bees. And if, if you're not blown away, even if you're not into insects or anything agricultural, if you see bees in an observation hive and you're not blown away or at least awestruck or even fear struck or whatever, right. then uh, there's something wrong with you. But so I, that really blew my mind. But then about a year and a half later, I was 14 and a half, I believe, there was a sorghum festival. I've always loved being outdoors. I always have been into trying to make a business go, even when I was a little kid. I just like creating and and doing things and building. So that's what bees do. They're constantly trying to gain and reproduce and, and be productive. So... When I went to a sorghum festival helping a guy make sorghum molasses, there was a guy that had another observation hive. But up to that point, I never had had any local honey. I'd only had the garbage from some store or what's in a packet somewhere. And it was absolute garbage. I'm thinking, why in the world would a poo bear or anybody <laughs> want to eat that stuff? It's it's gross. You know, if that's what bees make, then why in the world would I want to fool with that? Well, there's much more to bees than just honey. But after tasting two different types of honey while I was there, I mean, I was sold hook, line, and sinker, and I had five hives of bees that I purchased a few months later, right around when I turned 15 in, in October. And uh, so that's that's my, was my first impression on, on bees. And, you know, it was just a, a local guy who had a few hives of bees. And, you know, those little impacts right there or what got me into it. And also, I'd, I'd been kind of into growing you know, a lot of farm animals, uh, processing free-range chickens, different things like that. So I was used to being outside. That's, again, what I wanted to do. And I just thought, wow, that would be a great addition to have to the farmer's markets and stuff that I'm doing it because people love honey. And, and now I do, too, because I've tasted the real stuff, and it is just daylight and dark difference from what's in the store. But what I w- did not realize was all the challenges that was going to take place shortly after getting into bees. It was an interesting time to get into bees because, let's see, it was, oh goodness, I don't know, early 2000, somewhere around there, 2005, I can't remember the exact year. And, you know, CCD was going on, a lot of misinformation, oh, the bees are dying, everything's going to go extinct if we're not careful, and the there's a I think a huge rift created between professional beekeepers and, and hobby beekeepers because um, just everyone kind of took a political side on how they wanted to do their beekeeping and that's the wrong attitude. I, I do believe we need people that are pushing the whole genetics and people who are you know the professionals who are doing pollination. We've we've got to have a lot of it. And some people disagree, but we can agree to dis- disagree. But because of that, there was a lot of issues with education, and there was not any consistency in my area, and so I took to books, but books will only get you so far. I love to read, and I mean, I read every B book I could get my hands on, and then turned towards the internet um, shortly afterwards, which you have to be careful there, some crazy people on YouTube, I'm telling you. (laughs) And... uh, we lost, out of those five hives, and I say we, I was the only one in my family crazy enough to fool with bees. My parents were supportive, but they were like, man, you know, what is our son doing? Should we be concerned? You know, that kind of stuff. And uh, I lost four out of five hives. 
I purchased bees in October. I didn't know even how to access the hives at that point. Didn't even have a bee suit. But that's just the story of my life, kind of getting into things before I'm really ready. At 15, you have five hives, but it sounds like your parents nurtured an environment to they supported you starting off beekeeping. My parents have always been very supportive. Um, they always have given me constructive criticism, too. There's a difference between enabling and and being supportive. And you know, they felt like it, it could be good. There's been a few times they've taken me to the side and they're like, hey, this isn't working. You know, you're going to have to figure something else out. Definitely not what I wanted to hear at the time, but it was good advice. But I wanted to build up this business. Um, the bees wasn't initially a business. It was just kind of a side thing to go with my farmer's market stuff I was at doing. At 15? At 15, yes. So at 15, you're processing or you're selling free-range chickens and you have the idea of, I can value add at the farmer's market with honey. Yes. Um, we were doing tomatoes and some CSAs. and Your stuff family like was? No, I, I was. My brother was helping me. So you and your brother at 15 are entrepreneurs and you're starting a business. Your parents have had to have play a, 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 an incredible role on facilitating that kind of an opportunity. They did. You know, they, they never really um, pushed us into any of it. But whenever we showed a desire to work on whatever it was, they were very supportive um, of that. And so, you know, my dad purchased a plow and, you know, did different things like that and um, made sure that, you know, he didn't give us you know, ridiculous amounts of stuff, but he did whatever he could to help nurture whatever he felt like was a positive, um, creative thing. So, yeah, we were doing farmer's markets. It wasn't anything grandiose at that period, but we were, you know, you start young and hopefully you'll figure it out before too long. And that's basically the story of my life. So got into the bees that following spring. I only had one left and I didn't even know. I read from books, but it's one thing to read in books about swarm control. It's another thing to actually be able to visibly read the combs and know what's going on, know when to take action. Because the difference between a handful of days can mean all the difference in swarm season. And so I lost my first swarm, but it really hooked me because they swarmed and thankfully um, lit right into a cedar tree about 10 yards away, climbed that tree and pulled still the biggest swarm to my, um, that, to this point in my life. It was massive. It put, took two deep boxes to contain it. And I produced honey off of that colony in the first year. So I had two hives and then... I think only ended up with one. So that was basically how things went. And then I purchased some packages after that and then purchased more packages after that and then purchased more after that because I was losing so many hives. I would say on average in my first five to six years, I was averaging somewhere between 70, 60 and 80% losses somewhere in there. How much is that is um, things that you look back that you could control and how much of that you think was just part of the tuition at the school of hard knocks? It was a combination of both. I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't have a mentor. A lot of it was getting information that bees are just going to naturally take care of themselves because, you know, we need to let things get back to nature. And that really, I was very susceptible to that message. And it's a very common one that's pushed because I've always been into healthy eating, organic foods. Um, I would love to be able to keep bees as natural as possible. And when you read a lot of the old literature, that's what they did, right. but they could. Times are very different now. 
And we have to consider that nature is not always benevolent. And I've learned that lesson over the years in agriculture and in bees. And so I wasn't feeding them sometimes when I should have. So I lost some colonies. I wasn't protecting some of the weaker ones. I was making splits with too few bees to cover the combs properly and small hive beetles took them over. Uh, Some of the colonies, I was never treating for Varroa in the early years. And then when I started treating, I was using products that were all natural and some of those can be pretty rough if you don't use them correctly like formic acid. Um, I definitely couldn't raise my own queens and so I was relying on whatever I could purchase which is definitely hard. It's hard to find a, a reliable source of queens that actually give you quality. So there's a lot of factors that beekeepers have going against them early on when it comes to lack of education. All these new pests and also just um, being able to control genetics which as you know, our kind of motto is great queens, dead mites, and good nutrition, which I believe are the three keys to overall success. There's little nuances within that, but I didn't understand any of those things at that point. And just literally sinking tens of thousands of dollars trying treatment-free, and I get this question a lot, you know, what have you tried treatment-free? I mean, I've done everything from small cell to um, only raising, I started grafting queens around the time I was 18 19 years old. Wasn't probably very good at it till I was probably early 20s, 21, something like that. But I was only raising queens from the survivors. You know, and I was also purchasing, when I did purchase bees, at that point I was purchasing from treatment-free new suppliers and different things who were supposed to actually know what they were talking about. That's not a one-size-fits-all, though, is it? It definitely did not fit me at all in any size. Uh, you know, maybe it works for somebody else, but they definitely can't get it to work for me. And that's a problem. And that's one of the reasons why I don't promote treatment-free beekeeping as far as why I don't teach it. It's because, one, I, if I can't do it myself, what in the world am I doing teaching can't replicate that? replicate it. This, yes. And it's got to be something that is that you can duplicate. And I've literally got tens of thousands of people that watch my videos and they want to keep their bees alive. And whether you're a treatment-free beekeeper or someone who believes in crushing the mite souls, which I am one of those, <laughs> you've, you want your bees to be healthy coming out of the winter. And I don't see any good reason to let bees die. Even if you're trying to go for treatment-free, why let your bees die? Just identify the ones that are not quality for genetics, treat them, and remove them from the from the test or whatever you're trying to do and keep them alive. And then you can requeen them with one you think that is better and you can let those bees live. I think as beekeepers, part of our job is keeping our bees. And especially this day and age, the the, the shift has been more in being less beekeeper and more bee haver. Um, if we're just being honest here. And a lot of people don't like that, but it is true. Um, if, you, if you're not keeping your bees and you're having to depend on somebody else or even nature to supply them, then are you really keeping bees? And some people would argue with that, and I think they're entitled to do that. But um, my definition of being a beekeeper is these are creatures that I have put into my equipment. Obviously, I feel I have a responsibility for anything that I am caretaking of. And so, to the best of my ability, I'm going to help them not only stay alive, but to thrive, just as I would any That's other... That's a huge difference. There, It is a big difference. And I, I don't... If I have a dog or any other animal like that, 
I don't want to see them suffering from worms or anything like that in mange and, and being miserable. I don't want to see my bees in the same condition. The reason there's a big disconnect, I feel like, with people not treating bees the same as they do dogs and cats and, and horses is because you can't visibly see it and almost too, it's too late. And a lot of people don't get in their hives enough to even know it's happening. What I think you and I come from some similar starting points into agriculture, um, regenerative agriculture, holistic agriculture, permaculture, whatever name you want to call it, but trying to get back to the land, uh, try to farm in a way to where we're mimicking nature rather than working against it. And it seems like uh, this has popped up uh, time and time again. And while there are certain times where that can be extremely effective uh, and does work, there are other times where and I get a lot of pushback from folks because I do consider my bees livestock. I, I consider it animal husbandry. You know, we had a situation when I when we were first going down the road and farming and raising animals for our own family table. You know, at, before I had the experience. Uh, I had the mentality that if I have pigs and if I'm going to farrow and I'm going to going to have and I'm going to breed my own stock, well, if that pig gets sick, I'm going to let her die because I don't want those genetics on my farm. Now that was my thinking early on before I had pigs. Everything is completely different when you're actually in the context, when you actually are responsible and you bring those animals to your place. And not only um, there's a certain amount of responsibility you have to another life form. There's that aspect. Um, but there's just there's a, there's a certain connection that you have when you're working within nature in that when you are the steward of that land, some folks take that responsibility a little bit different um, to where we could argue that, well, farmers that are raising chickens and CAFOs are doing the best for those chickens because they're Medicaid and feed and they're doing this and they're doing that. And it's, it's almost it's one of those par- arguments that are never ending. But it seems like a lot of the mentality for me personally speaking, thinking about animals like I did to where if they're sick, then we call them and they don't exist in our context. That's a very idealistic way to go about that situation. And when I, a similar story with yours is when I got into keeping bees, I came into it from the treatment free, from the natural way to do it. And I thought that if God put these bees on this planet, then then they magically have all the answers uh, against all the problems that they're going to have. Because why wouldn't they? They live in the forest. They live in the trees. They live in the wild. They don't need me to live. That was my brand new uh, beginning beekeeper mentality because I didn't understand the full context of a wild bee. I didn't understand the full context of the breeding cycles or the genetics of any other part of animal husbandry. Well, you, you like me and many others, chose to listen to that one side of the argument that fit kind of our narrative. And what we don't consider is that God also created a lot of things that no longer exist on this planet because they weren't able to adapt or they're in a weakened state. You look at apple trees and, and different things like that. They take a lot of maintenance. You know, people love roses. They're a, they have to be sprayed a lot and fertilized. There's a lot of things that need a lot more stuff than what they used to. And you know, we live in you know a time period where you know, we're you know, people haven't always taken good care of the soil. So the soil's not as fertile as it used to be. So you have to use more supplements and things to help your plants thrive to their fullest potential. And it's it's a complicated topic because it's a split of kind of both of what you're talking about. First of all, we can't just say, okay, well, we can't do anything about the situation we're in. So we're just going to treat, treat, and medicate, and medicate, and medicate. And you know that's not the answer. But also just going completely cold turkey 
and just like, you know, okay, we're not, we're just going to let nature take its course. Well, nature is extremely brutal. So I think as beekeepers, we've got to actually find that middle ground, that, um, that fine line as much as possible. And there's going to be some variables there and people can choose for themselves um, what exactly that means. Uh, to me, I think it takes a lot of thought and being an adult means you have to really sit down and do a lot of thinking. I think that's why a lot of people avoid it with multiple distractions. When you are responsible for another creature or are responsible for a family or yourself, it takes a lot of thought and it takes constant thought. It takes reevaluation. It takes also taking responsibility for the consequences of whatever you've chosen, which is not always, it's sometimes it's a bitter pill to swallow. And with bees, those learning curves are tough. It's easier to blame it and play the blame game and beekeeping. Oh, my neighbor sprayed Roundup on their fence row. Obviously, that killed my bees. Or, oh, somebody else had feral mites or less resistant bees and they might bombed my hive or whatever. Well, I can't control anything about what my neighbor does. And I've gotten rid of that mentality. I focus on what can I control. And I focus on that really hard. And the more I've done that, the, the better my bees have done, the better I've done along with them. Where I find the line is, we take it on an individual basis. Bees over time have really done a pretty good job getting pretty immune to tracheal mites. They still cause a little bit of issues, um, but not as much, but they're very different than the varroa mite. Um, the varroa mites are definitely a, a lot harder and a lot rougher on the bees, and, and they definitely have been much harder to breed any resistance for. European fowl brood and stuff like that, chalk brood, we totally select for that. We don't use antibiotics. We see queens that show any type of susceptibility to those things, and we, I mean, we get rid of those queens with extreme prejudice. Some people don't like that, but they do like our queens when we give them to them because you're not going to have European fowl brood issues. Because we don't allow any of those to exist. We don't want those drones coming around. We don't want any of that. So I, I feel like, again, it comes down to really sitting down and thinking. And it's not something you can figure out in a day or even a year. It's a constant evolution of the mind. And talking to beekeepers who are like 40 years my senior or so who have a lot of experience and are very successful. And I mean, successful, they, they sell bees off because they just have too many of them. It's, it's a problem. Like all these bees everywhere because their bees are so well maintained and you know, they still have that mind where they're constantly learning and evaluating and adapting. And as a society, I think we've gotten away from this. Was That's one thing I had to learn. I had to change my mindset in my early 20s of I've got to take responsibility for what's going on. I've got to sit down and stop guessing. I have to know what's going on in here. And first of all, it was learning that I need to feed better. I'm not feeding enough. I'm losing some colonies because they're starving or they're going into winter with you know too little. And, and so they're not building as good a clusters going into winter or mite problems um, are chipping away the percentages or just wiping them out. And I was finding by and large that if I had a good clean colony in March, I, it usually was dead by October here. And that was very, very consistent, extremely consistent here. And, you know, there hasn't been, there still isn't very good information on consistent mite control. And that was another thing. Okay, so we realized the mites are the problem. I adjusted my feeding. It took many years to straighten that out, and I'm still working on it every year, getting it more fine-tuned, trying new things out all the time, because beekeepers love to do that. And with the mites, 
it was then, okay, we know it's the mites. Now it's the treatments. Oh, now we have issues with the treatments. We've got to figure out those things. And and I feel like it's part of the, it's no individual problem, but I feel like the, the beekeeping industry has kind of let us down. Um, that's my personal opinion that um, we should have better controls on this. I, I shouldn't have to be figuring this stuff out with my experimental yard. We should literally have a better idea how to use these treatments effectively and and better information. So anyways, long story short, we lost a lot of bees to Varroa, a lot to my own negligence, and uh, you know, a lot to queen problems. I'd say that's my number two problem. Varroa number one, queen rearing, um, queen issues number two. So you mentioned you mentioned good queens, dead mites, good nutrition, or I don't want your mantra for successful beekeeping. Now, when you start off with the five hives, you were down to one. You caught a swarm. You are building up the yard. You're buying packages. You're learning on the fly. You're paying your tuition to the school of hard knocks. A lot of folks who are trying to grow their passion uh, into a business will find they get to a point to where it just feels like. They're trying and they're digging in, but it always feels like it's one thing after another until sometimes we have a tipping point or a turning point where things all of a sudden they start to click and we start to have that realization like, aha, okay, now I think we're on to something. And then we as a launch pad to get us to that next point. And maybe that's backyard beekeeper to small sideline scale. And then from sideline scale, we start to grow and that's a whole can of worms, um, at at what point do you recall having that aha moment or that term or that tipping point to where you said, Oh my gosh, okay, now this is starting to catch. I did, but, um, it wasn't all in one year, but it was over probably a two or three year period where every year was like, Oh, we have enough bees alive now. I don't have to buy bees. It's not what we want, but at least we have enough to work with. We can split and get back to where we were in the following year. We had what we wanted, or, or really close, and then we actually gained ground, and we were selling nukes because we had too many, um, the, the more than we wanted, or we decided to grow. So it really is a, combina- a combination of things, and, and again, it's just like anything else in life. It's a little complicated. It's not just one or two things, but getting those bees in the right place, those giving them the opportunities to be successful, because nature is not always easy. 2019... We had 140 pounds. We were pulling honey off of some colonies. It was just so good. that One of our yards averaged over 120 pounds per colony. It was just a phenomenal year. It was easy to keep bees, except for the fact they wanted to swarm a lot that year because they were filling the hives so fast. So there's always something, and especially the nukes that year wanted to plug out. And then uh, the next year was terrible. So part of being a beekeeper is really paying attention to what nature's doing, understand what it's doing and then addressing that so we can help our bees out because nature can be really rough. About one out of six first year swarms survive. So five out of six are toast. That's not good percentage. That's nature right there. And that data was taken back, as I mentioned in one of my videos in the seventies prior to Varroa and some of these new viruses and different things that have really impacted the bees before small high beetles. So we live in a time where there's more pests than ever. We have have to do our due diligence and we, we as beekeepers just have got to realize that this isn't going to be something we can get into. And in the first year we're going to have success. But I do believe 
that we are seeing a change on the educational level through people either on YouTube or podcasts, more people on the internet speaking up, more more people just getting involved. And I think it's going to it's going to come down to not anybody famous or anything like that, but just a lot of individuals who I feel like are collaborating now because of the internet and those right people finding each other. And I'm excited. I really feel like what it took me 10 years to do, somebody could do in three years. No problem. That's an incredible thing to be able to pass on, to be that lighthouse to somebody, to, to pass on that torch, to be honest and open with. It's it's one thing, you know, coming here and seeing your place, uh, seeing all the things that you have going on is so incredibly awesome. But there's so many things that make that awesome are where all the failures, all the things that no one's ever going to see, um, all the things that you've had to learn the hard way that you're open and honest with and you're sharing that with folks because it gives them an, an, a more honest and true baseline. We all live in a world where every single one of us, if we're actually honest with ourselves, we all operate with an amount of confirmation bias. I don't think you can argue that. No matter what, I did it when I was going down treatment free. I thought that was the only way to do it. Every other thing were that that's not what was that was not the right way. It was this way that was the and it was going to work out. And to be honest, it was because of my confirmation bias. And I was I had put my own blinders on and my own set of lenses to where even though it was right in front of me and I replicated the same poor result year after year. I did the thing that people do. I blamed this and I blamed that. It wasn't until I blamed myself and took responsibility before it was almost like the blinders come off and you can almost see things uh, in a more neutral way. It doesn't matter what it is. Things, as you develop and you grow, you still have to fight ego. You still have to fight pride. You still have to fight that confirmation bias. And you still work hard to try to look through things in a lens to where you're actually observing what it is that's in front of you in a way to where you're not so attached to it to where you say, if this isn't working, okay, I understand that. Now what do we do? And that's a lot, that's really difficult, I think, for beginning beekeepers um, to really get a grasp on. Some some folks probably do that better than others, but it does seem like you know your early starts were definitely contrary to how most kids grew up. My wife and I, we raise seven kids. We homeschool. We live life in a more contrary way, not because we we're intentionally trying to be contrarians, not that we're intentionally being hard-headed, although I am. Yep. We're taking our life in our own hands. We're taking responsibility for our life and those that we bring into this world. You're also one of those folks that have a similar story. You've lived a life that's contrary uh, to the American dream. And yes. what's important is, is when there are folks like you in this world that aren't afraid to stand up, to speak out, to do what's right, uh, it, it helps bring everyone, uh, helps bring all these folks into that light where we can see things a little bit more clearly. Uh, and once we have that collaboration there is those strength in numbers mm-hmm. recently you know one of my first um interactions with you was through the hive life conference how in the world did you what was going through your mind to say you know what i need to do i need to do this my way i need to do this contrary to what's going on how in the world did it did, did the hive life conference come to be because it has been uh, a massive impact for a lot of us where one door has opened after the other because you put yourself out there. Well, we were really fortunate 
and have been, but I say fortunate too loosely. We all have bad things that happen in our life. It's just a matter of time before a vehicle breaks down. Something happens. Tree falls on the house. You know, things happen to everybody. Bad things happen. But I also believe opportunities happen to everybody as well. Just some of us don't put ourselves in place for those to take, for get uh, in the place to take advantage of them. But also, uh, sometimes we don't take them because there's risk involved or, you know, different things like that. And let me tell you, I was sweating bullets with that conference. It was a one of the craziest things that I've done, and that's quite something. And I, you know, you talked about being a contrarian. It's important if you don't want to live like everybody else, you don't want to be like everybody else because you're like, oh, this is what, you know, look at the average guys, you know, he's, he's doing, you know, this is what's happening. I, you know, why, why, why is the world like this? Well, stop being the average guy. Right. Stop living like the average guy. Stop thinking like the average guy. Being an adult, I think, in a nutshell, and I'm going to probably get roasted for this because, you know, everyone's got their own definition, but is is living in a constant state of self-evaluation because you are wrong a lot. A lot. I know I am. And we, it's just, Laurel and I were talking about this the other day. We're, we were talking about doing stuff in summer. You know, summer is obviously June and July and you know months like that. Well, it's not to some people in this world. Summer is is the total opposite time. Right. You know, to them, June and July is winter time, and I'm just like, that's got to be so weird. You know, if, if to actually go visit a place like that and things are that opposite. So we live in this small little wor- world of ours. So getting outside of our own headspace, constantly self evaluating. And I'm going to get to the conference here in a second, I promise you. But that's one of the things that I really try to work on because I am very flawed in a lot of ways. And without my wife, none of this would be possible. She sees the world and perceives perceives things in ways that I cannot. And that makes me stronger because she saves me from myself. And also takes maybe a good idea and I I have and makes it great. The conference was uh, not my idea. I knew I wanted to do one, but I didn't think it was time. And between a, a good friend of mine and my wife, they said, you know, it, you can do this. And I was like, well, I don't know if now's the time for that. You know, we really don't have a lot of time. They're like, but I was like, you know, it's not that I wouldn't mind doing it. Um, honestly, I just didn't want the extra work at the time. Because I'm just so bogged down constantly with different things. I'm like, one more thing to think of and worry about. So we started thinking about the conference in November, and we did the conference January 8th and 9th. So it was, uh, you know, we really went from zero to, you know, hero or whatever in a very short (laughs) period. And uh, it actually went really well, but it was, the opportunities were there, and we just put a lot of the, just so many hours into it. And it wasn't just me. My job primarily what with it was networking. That's one of the few natural skills that I have. I, I feel like that's another thing with self-evaluation is realizing where your strengths are, but more importantly, where your weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. And I, I really am poor at certain things, but um, I'm, I'm pretty good at networking. I can run my mouth and I, I can usually talk to people pretty good. And as long as I believe in what I'm selling, I can sell it. And I believe that you know when we have vendors come out or sponsors for our experimental yard, when we say that we're going to be able, you know, if they support us, that we're going to be able to 
you know, do right by them, you know, we mean it and I will do everything that I can. And so we started talking to a couple people. I didn't know 50 people would show up. The YouTube channel helped out a lot. And I was very fortunate to have opportunities um, to bring Bob Benny, who's a great person. That was one of the things we wanted. We wanted people to show up. Kent Williams, Bob, who were great on stage, actually had practical real, real world experience, but also were real personable off the stage. And because we didn't want a conference just to have a conference. We wanted the conference where people, if they needed any information, they could get it here. Whether it was for first year beekeepers or beekeepers who have been keeping bees longer than I have and are talking queen rearing, we wanted stuff that would help actually help people. That was the only goal. And, and it worked out pretty good because we were able to get the right people. And uh, it, was a, it was a great experience for me. I learned a lot, got to meet a lot of people. We maxed out the capacity. Um, it was at half capacity, so we couldn't have any more than what we had. But it, uh, it went great. We could have a, a conference one day that has 1,000, 2,000 people. Yeah, I'm not saying we will, but if we did, it wouldn't be as precious as this one was. What sparked you wanting to do it? Because that's, you just don't wake up one day and say, hey, you know what I should do? I should put my rear end on the line, my reputation, oh, and my pocketbook. A lot of money involved, that's for sure. Well, Joel Salatin and I talked many years ago, back in 2008. He was a keynote speaker at the SOG conference, and I, I, I really like Joel. And his information, he's not into beekeeping, not that I'm aware of, but you know, he's one of those speakers that even if you're a city slicker and you go listen to Joel Salatin, you're going to get into farming really quick. You're, it's highly motivational. Highly motivational. You can farm. Inspirational is probably a better word. Yeah, inspirational, motivational, all that stuff. Sensational. The only thing about Joel Salatin that surprised me, it's kind of like when you listen to a guy on the radio, you you hear this big voice and you think that there's this guy that's six foot four or something like that. And then you meet him in real life and he's like five foot one and about 400 pounds. And he's wearing Bermuda shorts and, uh, you know, flip flops, you know, that, that's just how we kind of do things. A lot of people, uh, uh, kind of get that idea with, with me sometimes They're like, wow, you're a lot shorter than I, I thought you were came. I thought you were you know a lot bigger, you know, YouTube, you know, get the camera angle, right? I get Laurel to kind of hunch down a little <laughs> bit and make it look like I'm a little taller. Um, but, you know, Joe Salatin, I thought he had a big, deep voice. And no, he's, he's more, a little more high-strung. Uh, but I absolutely left that conference and thinking, man, I've, I'm going to do this as a living. Um, whether it's beekeeping or CSAs, I'm going to do this. Back in 2008 with a buddy of mine who was also a full-time um, entrepreneur in the CSA industry, um, crop, uh, growing farmers markets and whatnot, but Joel, um, when we got when he got down, I was able to talk to him for a second, and I think he, he kind of laughed. He said, um, "What would you like to do?" I said, "Well, I'd like to farm, but I think I'd just as much love to be into doing what you're doing as education." And <laughs> of course, he's like, "Oh, here's a young upstart that wants the fame before doing the, the I actual want the physical." World. I want the whole world. That's right. Well, you know, it's the whole young generation wants it now kind of stuff. And, you know, I, there was probably a, a certain degree of that in there. Um, every, we all have an ego to a degree. But we do. I, I wanted to, um, I've always loved learning. I've always um, enjoyed talking to people about what I, I know. Um, 
And uh, so I, I thought that would be a lot of fun to network. I just like the networking side of it as much as anything. So, you know, he, he kind of laughed that off and I kind of felt a little bad after that. But if I ever meet Joel, I'm going to tell Joel, him. Joel, if you're listening, came and told you so. I, I told him so. <laughs> you know, but the only reason that came about because of the brutal work. I mean, just absolutely brutal years of just no vacations, no days off, um, just completely destroyed destroying your adrenals and even gut microflora and all kinds of stuff because you're just working too many days back to back and not just like eight hour days we're like 12s on the the nice side of things and uh, you know i remember several weeks back to back in spring that would just be 100 hours 100 hours 100 hours 100 hours and that was just me and then laurel was doing a bunch too you know maybe more actually with the kids and you know so in order to get to that point there's a lot of stuff you have to wade through but so I, I began scheming about doing conferences back in those days um, I always wanted to do something like that but I never thought I would do it at 32 I thought it would be more like 50 and the YouTube channel helped facilitate that because it's great marketing I mean basically I can say hey guys I'm going to be here and it, it's dangerous it really is because I could post something on there that is totally bogus on mic control or something like that. And people literally spend thousands of dollars and then lose their bees because it's a totally baseless claim that this works. And it scares living daylights out of me, to be honest. Um, but it is a powerful marketing tool. And so I can say, hey guys, I'm going to be here. If you'd like to you know, come and you know, have dinner or, or do this conference or, or we're going to try this. Um, it, it's easy to get the word out to the people. And, and the people that watch my channel and follow me obviously are, are more like-minded type people because I'm pretty open about how I feel on most things. And uh, so I kind of weed out the weirdos unless I'm weird. And then I'm Except weeding out I'm the normal. I'm sitting across from you, so... Well, sure you know, that. networking, you have to deal with some people that ah, you know okay. aren't quite your cup of tea but or cup of coffee, however you want to put it. But the... Uh, but, but yeah, the conference was a ton of work. I mean, Laurel just for like a month and a half. We weren't, you know, a lot of people do Christmas. Um, we typically do. Uh, we didn't do Christmas hardly that year. I mean, or last year. We just worked, worked, worked solid. Um, and Laurel just did all the technical stuff. I was talking to vendors, talking to people, figuring this stuff out, caterers and stuff. And we didn't know if we were going to lose our shirt or not. Um, quickly, we found out that we were not because um, enough people were going to show up. But I was really happy because I felt like the right people um, got to it meet each other. It was perfect timing because while it would be easy for you to sit there uh, and it would be awesome for me to sit here and pat you on the back and say, this was a massive hit because of you came in. Behind every good man's a better woman. I can say that for my wife and I, I know you'll say that for yours too. But it also seems like we have found ourselves in a very special point in time where uh, certain things are predestined or preordained to happen for certain for reasons that we don't understand but all we can do is step through that door and 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 be that change that we want to see be uh, that person that facilitates that relationship that reaches out to helps that person to shine that light that's exactly what you did and not only was it a, 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 a success the things that I heard people talking about walking through, meeting new people, is they've never seen anything like it. It was 
absolutely contrary to every other bee meeting, uh, convention, or any large get-together when it came to beekeepers ever. You, it, something it very special happened, and a lot of special people were involved in it. Well, it, I built the conference based off of what I hated on uh, once I've been to. That's basically the skeleton that we used to build a conference, and what would we like in a conference? And and I think it worked out pretty good, um, just because, the, again, the type of people that follow me on YouTube, um, typically, and, and most beekeepers, they don't want, I mean, science is great. We need it. It's an important part of beekeeping. We need research and all that kind of stuff, but sitting through hours of graphs and charts and stuff most people like myself we that's not what we go to conferences for we go there because we want to talk to other beekeepers and learn more about their experiences we also want to leave that conference with more tools to keep our bees alive and that's basically the whole reason you that i would go to one is i want to go there to become a better beekeeper what i'm going there to become better and if you leave there and and you feel like you don't know any more than you had before, then that was a lot of money and time. And, you know, there's some people go for the trade show or just to see buddies, but we try to kind of piece all that together where you went and you got to learn from people who really could give you good information. And we also wanted to have a time for people to network with, with each other. We also try to make sure there was good deals for beekeepers there to where they could save a little bit of money on stuff that they might not be able to get elsewhere. And we're working on this year conference to do even better with that. Um, giving people opportunities and kind of like you said, it's a, it's a trickle effect um, or a domino effect and opportunities. You've got to just go after them. One opportunity leads to another. It's, it's really a domino effect with opportunities. But if you don't take those, and sometimes they don't pan out as much as you would like. But it's funny how some of those opportunities that I felt like, yeah, that didn't really work out years later actually fall into place. And I would, with the conference, we could have gotten shut down. We, we had no idea what was going to happen with that. And we were playing it by ear. It was a really tricky time. It was Folks a tricky listening time. Now, it's, it's easy to forget uh, kind of how we've all progressed through this pandemic and such, but it was a very specific point in time where a lot of people were yearning for that human connection to, to also learn to move their beekeeping in a new direction at the same time where it feels like there were some things happening and moving in the beekeeping industry that all kind of combined and apexed at the time when you put that in place, and that was huge. Well, and the timing was good. Um you know, everyone has their opinions on how things should be. I, I personally believe in freedom first and foremost of the individual. And that's that goes to the beekeeping, that goes to everything. And, uh, you know, Tennessee obviously feels the same way. I mean, we did everything by the legal, right. um, everything that Tennessee asked of us, the state of Tennessee, we did it. And um, if they were going to say, you can't do this, we would have not done it. And so thankfully it worked out and I had several people like, you shouldn't do this right now because it'll probably get shut down. I'm like, and then you'll lose your deposit on all this stuff. And that was the risk that we took. I'm like, if we don't take it, then obviously it'll have failed before we've even started. My grandpa, who was one of the most inspirational people in in my life and just a great person, um, he said a couple things as kids and we'd hear it hundreds of times. And as you get to be an adult, it sinks in. And that's why it's so important to say these to your kids. But he'd say, Cayman, have you ever heard of Oliver Twiddleby? Who? Uh, exactly. Never heard of him. 
That's because he, he gave up. That's because he quit. That's what he said. That's because he quit. And so that's why you've never heard of him. And also can't never could. Little things like that. And it is my philosophy that we will, I would rather f- fail trying than just to never try. And so that's what happens with the conference. It worked out. It was great. And it's, it's been a, a big deal for us. And I think a lot of other people, it's, it's been a big deal for me. I've been able to network now with so many different places and um, it's going to be a hub. If I have my way for great information and great networking. And that's so vital as an individual. Just think if someone gave you a beehive and said, okay, here it is. You're closed off from the world. Oh, man. You you have no information. You've got to start from scratch and figure this out. You would spend your entire life trying to figure out what I can do in a, a year of networking. Seriously. I mean, if I can get a hold of the right people, learning from guys like Bob Benny, Ian Stepler, some of these old books that are still really valid, um, Walter T. Kelly's book, Eugene Killian's book, GM Doolittle, um, Jay Smith, so many of these valuable old bee books, and all these are very successful beekeepers. You can learn so much in a short amount of time, and and we've got to realize that. That's why grandpas and, and parents, um, good ones, are so vital to children, and whether we realize it or not at the time, is we can learn life lessons that can take us years to learn ourselves, or we can learn it just watching our parents or them explaining it to us. And as beekeepers, we've got to do the same. We've got to find those people who are good, those good beekeepers who are successful, who not just say that they are or have a YouTube channel because you got to watch those YouTubers. But Especially be, from Tennessee. You, you do. Well, in Tennessee, we do a lot of crazy things, <laughs> a lot of crazy things. And uh, I think it's a great state. But we aren't always the best beekeepers. And I I see a lot of change happening in Tennessee, positive change. But we have got to constantly look and move forward and spend a lot of time. If you're a new beekeeper listening to this, spend a lot of time sourcing your information. Reconfirm and then confirm again. That's the huge thing. That the person you're learning from actually is good. There's so many people who are popular who are terrible at keeping bees alive. You don't have to be famous. Uh, you don't have to be good at bees to be famous. And uh, there are a lot of people who nobody's ever heard of. One of them is a speaker at our conference um, January 7th and 8th um, in 2022. Um, most people have never heard of. And uh, we'll tell you about him later. But he keeps about 400 colonies by himself and has been a full-time beekeeper for, I think, almost as long as I've been alive. And so we need to learn from guys like that. I mean, obviously, to even just let alone manage that many colonies, but to keep them alive and, and run a business. That's a lot. And some people are like, I don't want to run a business. I just want to be a hobby beekeeper. Well, to keep bees healthy and sustainable, you have to treat it like a business. Honeybees keep their hives like a business. And, you know, some people don't like that, but that's just the way that it is. And healthy bees make great crops of honey. Healthy bees make a lot of splits. Healthy bees survive. And that comes from being productive. So as beekeepers, we got to take a lesson from the bees there. We also need to take lessons from those who are really knowledgeable and can prove that they are successful. I just just think that that's so important. And that's why I'm so excited is because I'm seeing so many of those people 
pick up a tor- the you know the torch and just lead the way for you know I'm learning stuff from these guys. You're only one person, and we, we've got to work together. I mean, you look at a hive of bees. One one bee is is worthless. It can't hardly do much in the context of being alone. But as a unit, a strong, healthy colony is extremely powerful. I mean, they do things that just we still can't figure everything out. So. Uh, definitely collaboration networking is, is very important. And whenever I started doing more of that is when I started having more success because I was starting to do things that was outside of, you know, my own mind. I was just reading books and, and doing things in my own BRs and trying to learn from that. And it was just taking me years and years to do what, again, I feel like now if people are learning from the right people and those right people, I believe are guys like Bob Benny, Ian Stepler, you know, there's several people on YouTube. Um, I've seen a lot of stuff that you've done that has been very useful to, like, um, especially the video with the buckets. Um, I learned a lot of stuff about buckets. I had no clue that there was so much detail into, into bucket feeding. You know, just, I may have never known that had, you know, I not learned that from you. So, I mean, different sources all working together. We literally, I think, can, through collaboration, put ourselves decades forward. And we must do it if we are to get the, the beekeeping industry where it needs to be. And we're going to. There's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's cliche to say, but there is something to be said about the, the phrase that a rising tide raises all ships. That it really is an important thing to kind of keep in the back of your mind. Where you can certainly lone wolf it, and you can go on and you think that it's your way or the highway, that you have all the secrets to beekeeping. Um, but in the, in the grand scheme of things, you're only hurting yourself, and you're, you're also weak. hurting the folks that you're influencing because then it puts them into a place where they're not open-minded to learning from from anybody else. The, the, uh, the fact of the matter is we are all learning. If we're not all learning from each other, we're not going to get anywhere with our beekeeping. And if, if we're okay with that, if we're okay with constantly stumbling over ourselves or our thinking, then that's, that, that's fine. But uh, there is something to be said for the man that spends his life learning until the day he dies. And then maybe that's where the learning really even begins. But if we close our minds off to where we're not able to, not only if, if I would if I wouldn't look to see, oh, how does what is Bob doing about this? What does Ian do about this? How does Cayman do this? You were talking about Georgia, Tennessee, Canada, whatever part of the world that's in. It's somewhere around there where there's ice. Eh. Is that Greenland or Iceland somewhere? I don't know. Eh. They have Tim Hortons coffee there. That's the only warm thing up there. You know, I was going to ask Ian. I think I asked him on a live chat. I really can't figure out: Does he live right next door to Tim Hortons, or does he is he sponsor or is Tim Hortons actually sponsor Ian Stepler? Because every time I see that rascal, he's got a fresh Tim Hortons cup and he's sipping off it like he's got a fresh piping hot cup of Timmy's coffee there. Well, if they don't sponsor him, they should. But in all seriousness, I think that um, the reason Ian has to work so hard is because he blows so much of it on that stuff. Um, he just spends so much money on coffee and he just, he constantly has to get out there and work because it's just, you know, that expensive coffee probably, but maybe we, we need to have a Tim Hortons intervention. Uh, There's probably he, another he, good he, cup he, of coffee out there. He's beyond, uh, saving i think he's at this point yeah well you know it's it's there's you know there's certain hives that get to a point where we just shake them out or just leave them to their own devices to drop some right. formic in there and right you yeah. know he's kind of at Send that it. point point of just uh you know focus on something that can be actually dealt with all kidding aside yeah uh, he is one of the um the most down-to-earth uh and humble 
teachers um, I think that I've even seen uh, he has a certain way of going about it to where he engages with folks that have one hive or a thousand hives and he's willing to give his time uh, share his knowledge and I think uh, it just feels like we're at it like you mentioned we're at we're at, we're in a place to where um, that is we're all it, there's a tipping point and it, mm. it feels like it is happening and maybe everyone says that at some point in their journey um, I don't think so but I, it feels, I think maybe right they now do. feels different but I, I, I feel like it is different, and I keep thinking that it's just me, but more and more people are saying that, and people that are smarter than me. And taller. And Well, I would hope they are taller than me if they're male. Um, otherwise, <laughs> uh, they're pretty darn short. But no, seriously, though, Ian is a, a great guy, and I would consider him one of the, f- the first people on YouTube that actually grab the bull by the horns on this education through you know visuals right that actually really lived up to what he said on an elite level but also in a humble way that anybody right. could get something from it and he's very personable he's coming to my conference um as long as nothing crazy happens um in 2022 so i'm excited to to meet him i consider him a good friend and he's been really helpful to me there's been a couple times where i'm just the decisions that we're making right now really impact i mean that's i can't say enough about ian and bob we're at a point in our business where i'm you know full-time and the decisions that we make can cost us thousands of dollars and or just put a lot of stress on us you know try that's one of the hard things again about being an adult or especially running a business is that being responsible and and having kids and making those hard choices like if I do this right it could be good for my family but it's a little bit of a risk do I stay where I'm at do I try something different and what if I take the wrong if I what if I take the wrong path is this going to just completely derail this year and am I back to driving a semi truck you know there's there's a lot of stuff to that and there's there's some of the things where I'm just second guessing myself I think that I know what I'm talking about but I'm not sure and I can just like, hey, Ian, or hey, Bob. You know, not, it's like I talk to him all the time. But when I really need to, um, I can. And th- there's been several times where they just kind of reconfirm or just throw a little bit of a different angle on it and actually can give experience instead of my right. idea and or put, give me context. And man, you know, to them, it's just like nothing because th- they are gracious they are gracious and and they're also that skilled and but to me i mean it impacts my family it also takes a lot of stress off of me so you know again that paradigm shift is happening and the wave is forming it's just starting to form so um, people need to grab their surfboards and either learn how to surf or body surf or whatever it takes um ride that wave because it's going to be fun, and there's there's some people that are a little frustrated by the wave, but that's the way it always works. There's always somebody that's um, trying to throw an anchor in, into that nice uh, little surf. But uh, all uh, analogies aside, I've never been this excited for for beekeepers. I really feel like the tools are opening up and available, where a lot of things have been behind closed doors. And we're working hard. Um, people have enabled me to be able to spend more time focusing on education for myself and them. And I take it seriously. This experimental yard, it is my number one focus this year outside of like my family. 
And the only way I've been able to do that is because of so much support from these individual people on YouTube and, and the sponsors as well. And because of that, I have the, the time and the assets to, to be able to figure out better controls. And I think we're going to get somewhere because it's going to go right. The money's going to go right where it needs to go into the nuts and bolts of the major of the main problem we have, and that's Varroa and controlling them. And long term, maybe we get into resistant bees. I think there is something there. I think, again, kind of that balancing act of not being closed minded in either way, open minded within reason. And we need beekeepers who are pushing the envelope on better bees and resistant bees. But it can't be they're, they're my bees, so they're better. It, it, they've got to actually live up to the hype. And I think there are beekeepers out there who have better bees like that. But isolating them through all of the smoke and mirrors with so many of these people who sell bees out there, it's hard, especially if you're a new beekeeper. And people need to be more opus, open and honest about products and bees and stuff like that. I think, you know, bludgeoning people verbally is, um, you shouldn't do that. But I think we're, we're bad sometimes about, well, you know, I don't want to be one of those guys. But we need to, if someone's got a bad product, we don't need necessarily tear into them, but we need to, to share that information. If they have bad bees and they, or they give us bad service, we need to let other people know. And everyone needs to be held accountable. I think that's important. I think in beekeeping, we have not done a good job of that. I think that type of competition is going to force the equipment and the bee quality in the direction it needs to go for the consumer. That's another issue with the current mindset is a lot of folks are living in a scarcity mindset where they're literally grabbing and gnashing at the teeth for every opportunity where it seems like all the folks that I meet or that I have, are making connections with that are successful, not only in beekeeping, but are successful in raising a family or living life or they're, they're doing it in a certain way to where uh, it's, it's, it's a mind of abundance. It, they're living life that they're, not only can you see that they're living a life that's blessed, but they are giving to others, they're giving of their time. Uh, you know, Bob Benny mentioned it last time uh, that we got together. And there's, there, there, there's plenty of room for everyone at the table. Yes. You know, we don't need uh, to arm wrestle over every uh, opportunity that, that comes away because like you mentioned earlier, sometimes that opportunity opens up as a door and you walk through there and you're looking around and it, you're not, you don't see anything. You know, well, that's just because you haven't taken the time to look that there is one more door that you just have to go walk to. And it might take you a little time to get there. The thing about it is, you know, Bob says that, um, you know, if you, and, and he, and I think you would agree, you know, beekeeping is kind of summed up for him in one word, and that's tenacity. You mentioned that earlier. You have to be constantly digging in, not be afraid to make those mistakes, uh, and but also to be humble enough uh, and open-minded enough to know when it is indeed you causing the problem, where do you look for answers? How do you move this forward? And that's why right now is so important with the things that you're doing, all the guys that we spoke with earlier. There are resources. There are people out there that actually want to see you well. It's, they're not going to set you up to fail uh, they're going to reach out. They're going to they're going to be the lighthouse. They're going to help um, everyone along. And those folks are the ones that stand out on their own. Those those are the folks that stand out uh, without having to badmouth anybody else. Those are the guys that are stand up. Those are the ones um, that are actually making that positive change. That are making the difference and are part 
uh, of of this movement or this direction that we feel um, that we're handing, you know, that we're that we're heading in. There's guys like you and myself and everyone listening. Uh, I would think if they're they're probably in tune with a similar thing, is we're not only trying to. Um, set up. Uh, we're not only trying to keep our bees alive and keep our apiaries in the black and trying to grow our businesses. We're actually trying to lay out the foundation for our kids, for our grandkids. There's there's an ancient Greek proverb that a society grows great when old men plant trees under the shade they know that they'll never sit under. And I think if a lot of us had that mentality to where we're not just constantly trying to, to rake in the coins, we're trying to lay the groundwork out for the next generation, uh, for the next person who needs help. You have you to. Win. You, you, ha- Everybody you have to do that if you want things to go forward. And I think beekeepers, again, have been their worst enemies. Uh, we, by not collaborating, by not championing, by not taking hold of what is going on and, and giving that up to whether it's entities or whether that's to researchers. Again, we need those type of people, but I feel like we have left the education by and large to those who are outside of the boots on the ground beekeeping. I know some great beekeepers that have PhDs. I know some wonderful researchers in the beekeeping industry that we must continue to have, but I feel like the beekeepers have held up their end in a lot of areas. And it's, it's all fine and dandy to have research, but you have to have those people who are boots on the ground beekeepers who actually live it. And again, I mean, I love books. I, I read them constantly when I was getting into bees and they, they are nothing in comparison to the experience that you can get from someone who can do it. We have got to take hold of the education of this industry, and we've got to not only do the education, but we've also got to push for the products that we need and the things that we want. I think the beekeepers working together, the sky's the limit, and that's the reason why we've had issues is we have not been good about taking the bull by the horns. So one of the things that popped into my mind for a, a weird reason was a story of when I was getting into beekeeping um, shortly after. I was catching a lot of swarms because I wanted good genetics, right? Um, one of those treatment-free genetics, and obviously these bees didn't last long enough to, to do anything special. But there was a, and still is, a huge building in Granville, Tennessee. It's like a, it was an old bank. they got a wonderful historic place over there. And there's been a swarm up there or a hive of bees constantly. And there have been people that I've talked to that are like 90 years old that can remember bees being up in there in like the 60s and stuff like that. But it's behind a bunch of brick and stuff. It's way up there. And you can just see the bees working and they have a bluegrass festival there every year. So I was playing a bluegrass show that day and I knew they were up there, but they were just too high to get to and no one wanted to beat up that beautiful old bank in order to get to them. And I told Laurel and a couple of my bluegrass buddies who thought I was crazy that, oh, those bees are going to swarm. Well, sure enough, right after our first 45-minute set, they swarmed. I mean, there was a cloud of bees. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, well, I mean, and there's like a 1,000 people at this event. Probably, there's more than that, but at least there's a 1,000 people there right then in that one area. And they're scattered around doing different things, but... 
there was um, like a 25-foot globe of size of bees just circling around right over, just barely over the top of people's heads. That's cool. Nobody noticed. Hardly anybody noticed that it was happening. And it's it's just one of those things that's kind of interesting. It's like whenever, you know, your wife gets pregnant, you start seeing a lot of pregnant women. You know, or when you, you look at buying a certain type you of car. watch how you say that. You might get the two by four tonight. Well, you start noticing things. At least I think guys are, are worse about this than girls. Girls are a little bit more observant, I think, sometimes. So, like, if you're looking to buy a, a Tacoma or something like that, you all of a sudden start seeing Tacomas going down the road where they've been doing that for years and you just haven't been paying attention. Well, that I think that's the way it was with the bees and people just... They just didn't. I couldn't believe it. I thought there would be widespread panic. I mean, literally, the swarm must have been at least 20,000 bees. It was massive. Wow. And, um, you know, so we're talking probably six, seven pounds of bees. And they're just going right over everybody's heads. And, of course, I'm just like, oh, my goodness, I don't have my bee suit on, any of this stuff. But swarms are usually gentle, right? Because a lot of swarms are extremely gentle. Every YouTube video says that. It oh, must be true. Well, a bunch of bums. Um, no, um... Most of the time, they're right. Swarms typically are very gentle. But this one landed, its initial, usually swarms light somewhere pretty close and they take off eventually for another location. It dropped about 15 feet away initially after circling around for a while over everybody's heads. And I'm looking around for a box, anything I can put them in. And it lights down on this bush. And I asked the lady who owned that little property next to the bank. And she was the one that was like 92 or something like that. And she's like, oh, yeah, there's been bees there since the 60s. I remember you know, seeing bees up there. And But a lot of people think that, oh, man, those are special bees. They've lasted that long. No, what that was is a perfect swarm trap. They probably died every other year. Right. But literally good locations can fill up with the swarm from somewhere else. Smells yeah. good, feels smells good. good. There yeah. might be something left for them to eat. I'd say over, you know, if it had been in there since the 60s, it's probably died at least every other year. And even if there wasn't a colony, there might have been other scouts or robbers that were going and visiting it and cleaning up, so it might always look like traffic. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, exactly. I just think that you know, it was a, a prime swarm trap, basically, the perfect swarm trap. And so, anyways, these bees, I asked her, could I have them? She's like, sure. Well, someone had called a beekeeper, so somebody did notice. I got them in a box. And they were not gentle at all. I didn't have a veil or anything. I shook them down in there. Keep in mind, I have another set to play in about 10 minutes, another 45-minute set. I shake them in that box, and within about five seconds, I've been stung about 18 times. No suit, nothing. And I was just getting bludgeoned. I got a little video clip of it. I need to see if I can find it. <coughs> so, long story short, I got those bees. They wore me out. They weren't special or treatment-free or anything like that. But it was, it was an interesting story. And there was another beekeeper that showed up that tried to swipe them from me after I'd already put them in a box. And he's like, hey, we got this call. Those are our bees. I said, you see all these stings on me? I did that without a bee suit. I said, had I not got those stings, maybe I'd give them up to you. But no, those are mine. He still I earned them. He, he, try, he tried to still get them from me. Like, like literally take the box from me. And I'm like, uh-uh. Right. So I... We played a bluegrass show. My hands were swollen up. Oh, and, man. Uh, it actually worked out pretty good. My buddies were like, we're not taking those home in this car. So we had to get a different vehicle. It actually worked out. But um, you got to be careful with those bees, you know, and you never know when they're going to be aggressive and stuff like that. I, I just thought that was a really interesting story because 
<coughs> excuse me. I just saw a post the other day on Facebook. Oh, these bees have been in here for 30 years straight. Resistant bees. Oh, resistant bees. I'm going to get those genetics. It's not how it works. Even before Varroa, it's not how it worked. Well, it's it's interesting because it we all, I think, have to... Um, if we all arrived um, to where we think we want to be, it, it would... We want to say it would take the fun out of it, but we wouldn't grow as a person, um, as an individual, or even collectively if we all just poof, we end up being a successful beekeeper. It's it's definitely um, if you're if you start off to be a beekeeper uh, and all you want to do is become a successful beekeeper, it might be a challenging way to look at it. But if you look at it as to where you are definitely open and available to fail. And you're willing to dig in and work through it, do the work, uh, reach out to others for help. I mean, I think you really can start to get a little bit of um, of momentum and, and put yourself in a place to where maybe that is where you want to go. Some of us even find out that as we go down this path, what we initially thought we wanted to do, who we work with, um, the type of bees... Uh, the entire approach can also massively change. And so if we let ourselves be open um, to that as it kind of uh, makes itself known to us, then there's there's literally limitless opportunities. But if we off the very off the cut say we are only going to have treatment-free bees, and if we can't keep them alive, then we're not going to keep bees, well, a lot of us would never kept going. Yeah. Well, again, I, I think that there is better opportunity than there has been in, since I've been into beekeeping for people to get some ground speed right out of the gate and, and start good. You're, you're going to fail. It's part of it. Um, people fail with chickens and stuff too. So you, so you will with bees and that that's, those lessons are important. What's your crazier bee people or chicken people? Well, a lot of them um, were chicken people or still are chicken people. That's chickens true. is like a gateway drug for it is beekeeping. A gateway. So, um, you know, that's true. Bee- beekeepers are, are kind of an, an odd bunch, but I really, I really like them. Uh, those that stick around with it, and um, especially those who really put the work into it, just a lot of respect for them. They're a lot of fun to be around. Uh, bees are a lot of fun to be around. So, my greatest fear in life, and I've said this before, is boredom. You don't get that with bees. No. So that's one of the reasons why I'm a beekeeper. Um, it's like this spring. I mean, this is my 18th spring or whatever it is going into with bees. And I'm as excited. I think I'm more excited this year than I was in my first year. And that's saying something. Um, I, I absolutely love it. Um, you know, but things are getting a little bit more efficient for me. And, and we're getting back to fun. There were several years where, I mean, the fun was gone. You have to be careful starting a business. You can you can ruin beekeeping, turning it into a job. I recommend you know, get five or whatever your number is, three hives, whatever. Be sustainable with it. Be successful. And then grow as you can grow the operation. I'm really not a huge fan. I wish I could go back and, and say this to myself and, and change my mind, though I probably wouldn't have listened. And uh, would have just done just that. I would have been years ahead. But yeah, I the bees can take care of themselves 
as far as growing the operation if you keep them the way that they need to be kept. And it is totally a coexistence, I really believe, between human and, and, and bee. We can give them the best life that they can ask for if we know what we're doing. I, I truly believe that. Um, nature is pretty brutal. I don't want my bees to suffer. I don't want my bees to die. I, I'm definitely not getting the losses of only one out of six first-year swarms survive, like in nature. I'm low side getting five out of six to survive. And then if you count all the splits I make throughout the year and sell, I'm actually gaining ground every year. So it's hard to argue, you know, a point that, oh, well, you know, you're killing the bees or you're weakening the genetics because, you know, you're propping them up with feeding them or you're propping them up with treating them or, or whatever. Well, the bees seem to like it pretty good because they res- respond really well. I just think for a new, new beekeepers, just be willing to learn. I definitely can't say anything about as far as like people ask me, should I do treatment free? I give them my recommendation, which is no. Um, obviously, I can't teach that. I can't do it. But people obviously have the, the freedom to decide. I think that they should. I think if in a perfect world of, of in Cayman's perfect world of how should I start off, you're going to read a couple old books like Walter T. Kelly's How to Keep Bees and Sell Hunting, Good Nuts and Bolts book. You're going to listen to Bob Benny. You may listen to my channel a little bit for some in-between stuff. You're going to follow people who you can see keep their bees and don't buy bees because that's what you want to do. You want to keep your bees alive and you want to treat them and you want to keep them healthy. And then once you get to that point where, oh, wow, this is my second year or my third year and I've produced honey or I've produced more splits, if that's your thing. Some people don't care about honey. They just want to produce more bees. Or some people just want to keep their bees alive just so they can have pollination. Maybe just a little bit of this or that. Whatever it is, beeswax, and people love that. Whatever your definition of success is, you have to have alive bees to do that. Getting to that point where you have those healthy bees coming out of winter, and you can do it in a couple of years, now you know how to repeat that. You've done it a couple times. Then if you want to start going into a little bit more natural side of things, knock yourself out. We need people who are going to push these boundaries. You have to have people that push the boundaries. But at the same time, you can't. I tried to reinvent the wheel when I first got into beekeeping. Um, all these professionals were saying, you can't do this. You can't do this. I'm like, well, I'm going to do it. Well, you know why they said that you can't do this? Because they had tried. And it hadn't worked for them. And life is complicated. And it's hard when you're a teenager to always listen to that older person advice because obviously you've lived longer and you know better. As a teenager, we're we're bad about that. That's And that's why teenagers kind of get made fun of a little bit by adults because all of us were teenagers at one point. Right. But the difference is, at 32, I look at the world through a totally, from a totally different viewpoint. And it, it has totally changed my beekeeping. Again, all it takes is one or two years of success and most beekeepers stay into it you indefinitely. Just keep building, 
keep building on that. One thing that you do with your channel or in guys like Ian and Bob is they don't say, uh, you can't do that. So don't do it. What a lot of guys are good at saying is I can't do it. And here's why, because then you can take that back to your context, try to figure out why first and foremost, why do I want to have bees and then start to get a rough outline of, uh, the context in which you want to do that, that's going to help you gravitate towards the folks that can help you along that journey. Your YouTube channel, for instance, um, you do a live chat with every week. Oh, maybe twice a month. Twice a month. Uh, and what's, what's, what I always thought was, was incredible about that is you are literally fielding, it seems like, hundreds of questions. Uh, and you're taking the time out for folks and answering the questions, questions that you know, questions that you've answered a million times before, but you're still uh, engaging and, and putting um, that effort out. And I know a lot of folks appreciate that. When we put the word out that we were going to be sitting down with you, of course, we had some listener questions. I've got sure. 3,472 questions, but we are sitting at your family's dinner table. We only have time for about 2,400, so okay. let's get so to it. Let's, let's shoot. Before we get going, thanks again for having us in your kitchen and your home, opening up, sharing uh, your life's journey in beekeeping with us, and also everyone listening, because it's these kind of conversations that I really do think not only inspire folks, but it motivates them to keep moving, to keep pushing, to be tenacious, uh, and also to be that lighthouse uh, for others. So thanks again uh, for having us here. Well, thank you. I'll just say one more thing is, again, it's, it's, it's that tenacity anybody can do what I've done. I truly believe that I don't have any special talents. Um, as far as like this separates me from the pack because, you know, Cayman can has a special skill in beekeeping. There's none of that. It's just, I don't stop trying. And I think anybody who can do the same, you can actually probably do way better than me. I know beekeepers who literally got the right information and did in three or four years what it took me 12 to do. And we're going to see more and more of those people. I know we are. So everyone just needs to, even if you lost all your bees this last year, you're going to do it. Just keep at it. All right, how about those questions? Okay. Terry Bishel asks, what got you into beekeeping? All right, so I mainly just seeing the bees work. I already loved agriculture quite a bit. I think I've explained this before on the on my YouTube channel as well, but basically you know, I saw a fellow that had just a handful of hives that had two types of honey. It was totally unlike anything I'd ever seen. It tasted amazing, totally different from anything in the store. And I just thought, wow, this is a great product that I could have at the farmer's market. I wanted to be involved with these creatures and to learn about them. Um, I always just, everything that's outdoorsy, I want to know about it. Um, I want to be a part of it, or at least learn something about it. Even if I don't do it, I want to learn something. So, you know, bees obviously are one of the coolest creatures in the world. So it wasn't, it didn't take much. After seeing them work in an observation hive or two and tasting that honey and seeing the impacts that they had on um, people in history, you know, we don't see as much today because we have so many synthetic waxes instead of beeswax. And we have, you know, artificial sugars and, and all kinds of sweeteners but back in you know you don't really have to go that far back in honey and beeswax and all these things i mean they were vital and still in many countries who don't have the 
economic structure that we do, they are revered in price. So, you know, after doing a lot of reading and stuff, I was just blown away by the bees and I just had to be a part of it. And so I started when I was about 15 and, and it has just been more dominating. Um, I, I got out of everything else I was doing over time just so I could focus more and more on the bees because it's just such a awesome thing. As you've grown your, your, your business, uh, Terry McCarsky asks, well, what is the biggest hurdle in growing your business? You are your biggest hurdle. Getting a little deep there. That's good. But, That's but seriously, truth. you are. You are your biggest hurdle. You are limited. You don't have enough education. You don't have enough experience. And you've got to find a way to address those things. We trip over ourselves a lot, don't we? We do. Well, and sometimes we listen to the wrong people. And I, the biggest obstacle in, in getting the business up is really the core of, first of all, you got to have your mindset right. But that also impacts the core of beekeeping, which is keeping your bees healthy and thriving. And if you can't keep your bees in a sustainable manner, then it doesn't matter how much money you throw into this. Bees are really dynamic. It's not like some of the other industries where it's a little bit more gentle. You get into it, you can have a thousand colonies and lose like literally everything in a year. And you could just totally lose your shirt. And I urge people not to get in over their heads. Take it a little bit slow. And and the best type of growth is the growth that you can do with your bees. Um, if you got 50 hives and you're doing good with that, and you're sustainable, or 10 hives or whatever that number is, if you if you can't sustainably double that each year, then you don't need to be in, you know buying a hundred more bees and, and trying to increase. I mean, you shouldn't. Now I've done that. You want to talk about throwing a pile of money on a fire? But you gotta get you gotta fix the core. Having trucks and fancy equipment and all this stuff will come if your bees are healthy and that core is healthy because it's going to make you money, and then that money goes into buying all those tools. Not, I see a lot of beekeepers get all this fancy equipment. I mean, I've been doing this for several years and I look at some beekeepers who have been in it for three to five years and have a third of the hives or not even that many hives and they have way better extraction equipment, way better vehicles, they have forklifts, they have all kinds of stuff. You grow with your business. Financially speaking, if you can't afford, if the, bee, if the business can't pay for it, unless you know for sure that it is going to help and pay for itself immediately, you don't buy it or you find a used one that you can't afford. I drive that old truck. So again, you've got to get that core. Those bees are the lifeblood. And literally, if those bees are healthy and you're doing good, you could triple or quadruple your operation. So you need to get to that point where you can do that. And if you can, you're going to grow fast. Quality queens, dead mites, good nutrition. I've heard you say that over and over again. Close. Okay. Great queens, dead mites, and good nutrition. But Great. Okay. All right. Yeah. You, you got to get it right or it's not as powerful. Great queens, dead mites, good nutrition. Megan Durst asks, how do you treat for mites, Cayman? Well, that is something that is constantly changing as things change. And, and then again, the, the test yard that we're doing, that's one of the reasons we're doing it, is to isolate which treatments work the best and under what conditions. 
it's unfortunate that we're still in this stage that we're asking these questions, but it's a complicated issue. What I have been using primarily during my periods of success, not in back several years ago, but the years that I'm actually keeping my own beads alive and all that stuff, is using Apigard Thymol. In hot weather, I'll use it on, a, instead of using two doses of 50 um, cc's or whatever it is that they recommend, you always follow the label. They also say that you can use it where you use like 30 instead and do three rounds and spread it out. So I usually do that because it's hot. So I'll do the Apigard Thymol in summer. You'll have to adjust it to your season. I pull honey supers in June. I like to get them off early. Even if I maybe miss a little bit of honey, get it off there. The bees can have that honey come in. I've got to get those mites dead. And that way the bees will be way healthier. And then I'm going to treat again in the fall. And usually I would rotate. Usually it was Apigard and then oxalic acid um, with a timed split. So I got a brood break so it was more effective. Or for a couple of years I was using Apivar which is a synthetic. I'm stopping using that because I'm not getting the kill rates off of that I'd like to. And I don't like to use it because it's not as natural. So basically, Apigard in June or Apivar in June, and then whichever one I didn't use or I did use, I would use the other one in August. We've got to keep those populations low. And then in wintertime, two rounds of oxalic acid vapor. I think it's very important to do that. And doing it around temperatures that are in the... Mid-40s is ideal. Maybe a little bit warmer would be better. But um, if we we want bees that are really thriving, we've got to keep those mites under control. What temperature are you talking about when you're treating them that late? When are you treating? What temperatures are you in Fahrenheit? Like the oxalic acid? Yeah, so like um, treating about 45 to 50 degrees. Um, And we want to do that in December here. One of the reasons I've actually switched to carny bees over Italians is for multiple reasons, but one of the main reasons is because they actually almost always give me a brood break in winter, in December, right before the winter solstice. And uh, that brood break is so important at killing high percentages of mites. My Italians on a mild winter here in Tennessee, which can be very, very mild, December can be easily 50 degrees on average. I can have a, f- a frame of brood and all those mites by and large are going to be in that brood trying to reproduce and affecting the colony. So I like those carnies so I can get a nice clean kill. Um, unfortunately, most of our management is into uh, controlling those mites. But yeah, that's that's what we do right Dead now. Dead mites. So speaking of quality queens, uh, Tim McCandless asks about your availability of queens this year. And if you have some available, he promises he's not going to kill them again. Ah, okay. Well, I, I've said that before about my queens, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, our availability, it, its we don't really take a whole lot of pre-orders. That's the problem that we're at right now with the businesses between the YouTube, conference, networking, stuff like this, podcast, running RBs, putting in a new bottling system, trying to handle all that I can't juggle pre-orders yeah Yeah, I can't do it all and so I do plan on selling hundreds of queens again this year but I also have contacts that some of these guys already are like you know hey just let me know man count me in for 25 again this year and you know UPS is who I ship through it's like 45 minutes away so you know I can't sell like two go all the way there for two queens I just can't do it and so we don't really take pre-orders I don't like doing that because it puts a lot of stress on us. So I'll basically raise the queens. I'm like, all right, I've got a hundred. 
and I'll put the word out. And thankfully, I'm in a position where I can sell those pretty easily. When the time comes and I have extras available, Facebook, I'll announce it there. Um, I won't do it on YouTube because I'll just get filleted if I say, hey, everybody, um, I got queens <laughs> available. And then it's like, oh, my goodness. Um, it's a good spot to, good spot to be in. It is. It? it is. It's, it's frustrating. We have got to find somebody like Ian has, like Carrie, somebody who can come in and, and do a great job and produce those queens. We have the bees to be able to produce a, probably about 2,000 queens a year. But it is going. Someone's going to have to just like totally, it's a full-time yeah, full time, and they could probably they could do more than that. I mean, honestly, um, but I I just don't have the time to do that anymore. And that's where that's where it kind of gets hard. Is that I could probably raise fifteen hundred queens a year and do a little bit of honey on the side and sell some nukes. But then there's no YouTube channel. There's no conferences. Can't do it all. You know, there's there's no test yard, that's for sure. You know, so that's taking up a lot of my time this year. So it's a sticky situation, pun intended. Um, uh, speaking of the test yard, I know you're going to have a lot more information on what it is exactly um, that you're doing um, in the test yard. We have a mutual sponsor with uh, Premier Bee Products. Do you have any initial thoughts on uh, Premier's plastic foundation? Well, I've... I do, and I've used several types, and I really try to be honest. And so when I saw another, I've heard about them for a while. You know, you just hear rumors about companies and whatnot. So, you know, I heard, oh, another plastic foundation company. Like, we really needed that. You know, right. honestly, we I felt like we didn't. So I'm like, good luck. I, I don't wish them any ill will, but there's already, you know, Acorn, which I've done business with, and I like their product, and other companies out there that, you know, will get the job done. And uh, so I didn't think much of it. Well, a couple of, you know, the beekeeping guys, that's where where the YouTube channel comes in handy for me is they start throwing information my way and eventually some of the stuff sticks and some of it's actually really good. And I, I, they're like, you know, what do you think of Premiere? I'm like, I don't know. It's a plastic foundation. And uh, I had a friend of mine. It's like, hey man, you really need to check this out. And then he's like, hey, let's see if I talk to him about being a sponsor for you. So I thought, that'd be fine. You know, foundation, foundation is foundation. Well, I got them and they're different. They have more cells. That's the the number one thing. It's huge, especially if you're like me. I think it's huge for everybody. But if you're running a single brood management system, we produce honey on colonies that have one deep box for brood so the queen only has that one 10 frame box so compared to the right cell that i've been using i literally get like 5500 or something like that more cells in there that is huge and that really is because it's all about swarm control that queen doesn't need to run out of room to lay period so the, the more the merrier and then if you think that that's up there in the honey supers that can really contribute so that was what really kind of surprised me the most is, oh, wow, I can get more cells because that affects the bottom line. It really it really does, especially over the course of you know, 300 colonies. That can, that can That's a lot of bees. So there's that. But also when it arrived, um, I've ordered a lot of foundation. I've actually waxed my own foundation for many years, just roll it on and whatnot to give it extra wax. And this is the best smelling stuff I've ever. That's what I was going to say. It's great. When, when I spoke with Jeff, Jeff sponsoring the Contrary Beekeeper Show uh, and also the Nature's Image Farm YouTube channel with Premier Bee Products Foundation. And he, he does a very good job of, of articulating why it is that they're different. Uh, and he said one of the biggest things that you'll notice is when you 
pop it out of, out of the box, the smell. And I got to say, as soon as I pulled out that sheet of foundation out of your box here in your barn and smelled it, I was like, holy smokes. Yeah. It just, I, I think they're using what A.H. A. Myers, uh, the, the, not Capping. only the yeah. cappings, but the, the foundation is also made um, in the U.S. So I think that's, that has, that's important too. But um, I just thought it'd be uh, interesting to um, see kind of how that plays out because it also dabbles in a, some different things where a lot of us who have came from treatment free or are doing natural beekeeping or are still on the fence with small cell, although the cells aren't small cell, you know, like Jeff says, they have a thinner cell wall. There's over 3,000 more cells uh, per frame. That's possibly you know more cells for honey or more cells for brood that could actually be something that is a force multiplier uh, in a hive where one change or one little component can actually make a big deal and that's i think that's important to, to look entertain ideas like that it is well again i just thought it was an average foundation initially and it's not and so i think that it's going to do really well for my bees um, bees love that smell i love that smell and i've been around beeswax for quite a while and there is a big difference in grades of beeswax and this stuff is top notch and that can make a huge difference there's a generous amount of wax and it's high quality wax and i think the bees are going to really appreciate that um i haven't yet had yet to try it out but um all indicators look really positive positive on trying that out in the, the test yard it's definitely, it could be a force multiplier. And we were talking about uh, uh, tools and growing a bee yard and things. Bruce Brown asks, have you been using the hive lifter? I have, um, just a little bit. And it's crazy. There's been several things that I've purchased this winter, and I haven't been able to use much because we're just go, go, go all the time. And, and just having a hard time finding um, times to make videos on certain things and also just to be able to try some stuff out i've hardly used that lifter just a little bit i really like what i'm seeing it's going to be in some videos this year it's made up in canada by a guy named boris and uh i haven't got him to to say moose and squirrel for me yet but I, i'm working <laughs> on it and uh but on all seriousness it seems really nice i, I want to do a good video on it when i i get things set up it's going to be an adjustment on how I have my bee yards because I've got to set my bee yards to work with the lift. Things aren't very level around here, but I'm excited. I think it's going to help me out a lot. Again, it's not one. I'm tired of doing videos um, where I just kind of, oh, here's a video on it. I want to make sure I'm very methodical, and I definitely want to use the product for a little while, but I think it's going to be awesome, and I, I'm, I think I'm going to be able to suggest it um, to, for other people to buy without any reservations. You do have a lot of hives here that are palletized, uh, and I have seen some two-way pallets. Uh, Michael Jordan asks, what do you prefer, or what's better? Uh, and that's a loaded question. Oh, yeah. Well, there's... A four-way or a two-way? Oh, none of, none of those things are better. Um, they're all good. Um, it depends on what you... Uh, better, I guess, it d- depends on your definition of what you want. Um, four-ways are obviously better if you're if you have a forklift. It's more efficient. If you're doing the pollination game and you're moving bees around, then um, two ways are not the best way to do it. Um, obviously, two ways are a possibility, though, and it all depends on your operation. That's that's kind of the cool part about beekeeping is you can tailor it to your desires, your creativity, or your specific situation. 
I love the two-way pallets because I don't have to get, you know, this this lifter I got from Canada, you know, we're looking at the ballpark range of, you know, shipping and everything, $1,700, $1,800. It's not too bad, especially for, his, you know, what I'm doing. I can pick up the two-way pallets. I can pick up individual supers with it. It's got two different attachments. And the two-way pallets are very manageable for me to be able to use that lift. Um, if I want something that can pick up a four-way pallet, I'm going to have to talk into some big, big dollars bucks. and something to move a big piece of equipment like right. that. And that's just not the type of operation I have. I love the two-way pallets, though. They're more stable than just having like a single bottom board. They can you know, flip over easier or or just different things. So I just I think the two-way pallets actually can be made cheaper than a regular bottom board as well. They're, they're tougher. I, th- I think they're just, they're great. Um, I, I've been wanting to actually put together a video on how to save money and build these things, but I just have not had a chance to edit that and put it up yet. But I love the two-way pallet system. I think more and more hobby and sideline small professional beekeepers are going to go the two-way pallet method for sure. But four ways, I've got a, oh, about 10 four-way pallets that I use. And the only thing about the four ways that I don't like is you can only access them from the sides where the two-way pallets, you can go at from the sides and from behind. And a lot of people like to work the bees from the sides only anyways, but sometimes it's handy to get to from behind as well. And especially when Laurel and I are tag team in a hive, you can have one person on the side, one person behind it. And it's really easy for that. So again, personal preference, but we're going to see more two-way pallets in the future. I'm confident. Cayman, I want to say thanks again for taking the time out to, to sit down at the family table uh, and let us into your life, uh, into your beekeeping, and share with us um, your journey uh, through beekeeping. Where can folks find out more about Cayman Reynolds moving forward? Well, always follow us on YouTube um, if you like that kind of thing. You can. There's a bell you can hit that'll give you notifications on our videos. We also have playlists. I think that's what a lot of people miss out on. If you go to the playlist on the main page, you can actually see specific genres of beekeeping, whether it's queen rearing, maybe videos on pallets, making those or using them or supplements or whatever. We try to be more organized or like this test chart coming up. It'll be on there. You can follow me on Facebook. A lot of times I don't accept friend requests because I really don't have time to see what you ate for breakfast that morning. And, um, Seriously, it's just a, it's nothing personal. I just can't handle um, that. So if you'll follow me on there, you can see when I'm going to be at an event or anything like that. And you can always email me. I may not get back to you. I'll try to if I can at tennesseesbees at gmail.com. So that's Tennessee with an S, no apostrophe, tennesseesbees at gmail.com. And uh, those are three pretty good ways to get a hold of me. If you're listening to this and you're wondering, how do I spell Tennessee? You're not the only one because I cannot spell. I can spell Mississippi, but Tennessee, uh, I, I'm not a real big fan of all the technology. But I got to say, I kind of like the autocorrect thing on Tennessee because I can get it right almost every time. Uh, well, you know, we're actually probably going to be moving a lot of our, our stuff to Hive Life. So be on the lookout for that. We're going to be going Cayman Reynolds high of life instead of Cayman Reynolds at Tennessee's bees because um, the, the email will remain the same, but we're 
when I started this YouTube channel, it was mainly for Tennesseans and surrounding states. And we have people that we're dealing with out of country constantly and all across this country. So we, we really feel like we needed to change the name um, for multiple reasons. And our conference is called Hive Life. So that's that's a change that's going to be coming up in the near future. So you can probably still type in Cayman Reynolds, Tennessee's Beads, and you'll find everything. But that is something that you'll see change in the future. Cayman, I've really enjoyed uh, the time that we spent together. Thanks again. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing where all this journey goes in the future. Greg, I've really enjoyed it as well. It's good to meet you and your son. And we will, I'm sure, cross paths again in the future. So as always, be the lighthouse. Be good. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time, guys. I was going to go like B flat. <laughs> B flat. Oh, that's a good one. See, musicians like totally get that. I had someone ask me about what kind of sounds bees make, um, like frequency wise. And I told them um, there's multiple ones, but primarily um, when you step on one, you get two it's a B flat and then B sharp. <laughs> Um, and uh, I had some good laughs out of that, and I had some people who just didn't laugh. How dare you? How, how dare they? Hey, that'll work. <laughs> how about that?